of those songs while we're singing it. There's a couple spots in there I just wanted to shout out. Amen or hallelujah. Because Jesus did. He conquered the grave. He died for our sins and rose again so that we might have eternal life in Jesus Christ. You may be seated. If any of you know me well, you know that I, I'm i a fairly orderly kind of guy, and when, when stuff doesn't go the way that I plan it to go, it just kind of me for a little bit of a loop. But that's all right, because God's got it, and he knows that we're going to still talk about his word today. You can turn to, well, I'll start with John chapter 1. As, as, as we grow and mature in our Christian lives, I know we've talked in the past about those aha moments where for, well, I'm 58 years old now, so probably for 55 plus years, I've been reading and studying it in Bible in Sunday school and listening to messages and preaching messages and and yet there's still those, those times where two things will come together that you never saw before. They fit. And, and you see just a little bit more of the big picture of God's Word. You, you see how the message through all the books of the Bible are consistent. Where, where last week I didn't see this truth, how it joined up over here with this, but, but now it's there. I just think of a, of a, a baseball player. A batter, as he's standing in the box, you think of the, the young rookie, and he's coming up against the seasoned pitcher that's been pitching for 20 years. You know, anybody can hit a fastball, all right? Anybody that's even close to making the big leagues can hit the fastball, but you got to be able to hit the curveball. And if you hit the screwball or the sinker, you're just lucky any day of the week that, that you hit that, but you got to learn how to hit a curveball. And kind of the same thing comes true with a, with a rookie quarterback in the NFL. Those pass rushers probably seem like they're two times or three times bigger than the ones that were in college. And the game is just so much faster. But as they, as they play the game longer, the game kind of slows down for them. They get used to it. They, they're not quite awestruck by it. The, the, the batter, can see he starts to see that ball. He's not just kind of swinging away, hoping he hits it. He, it's like it slows down, and it's the size of a grapefruit, and he can just see it coming in. And as the quarterback in football becomes more experienced, he, he sees the defense that's there, and he, and he can read it quicker, and so he knows what his options are and where he needs to go with the ball the quickest. The game just kind of slows down for him. When you get as old as Tom Brady and some of those guys, it really gets slow. <laughs> Just because you get slow when you're still playing at 44. But that's the way it should be with our spiritual lives too. As we grow and we mature, it doesn't see. We we look at God's Word and there's 66 books and there's a lot of words and there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that doesn't always quite make sense. Because it slows down for us, we can see the curveballs coming. We can start to connect the dots. 
And we can start to pull some of the truths together. Now the scriptures we're going to go over today, no, I'm not starting Acts today. I was going to start it last week and didn't have, didn't, nope. I'm going to try again next week to start in the book of Acts. But in my own study during the week, the Lord has just laid this on my heart that he wants me to share this this morning. Now, you're going to say, Pastor, these, these passages are all really familiar. Um, anybody ever hear what, what the passage that Dick was reading? Has anybody ever heard that story before? Yeah. Okay. But we're going we're gonna to connect it in a few ways that today, hopefully, that, that didn't really have an aha, aha moment this week, but it's kind of like, oh, that's pretty cool how that fits together. I've never seen that before. So I want to share that with you. And it just so happens that at our church picnic two weeks ago, we sang this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, we're going to go back and read it. That. So that's why I want you in John chapter 1 for a few minutes. The, 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 the center of the message today is going to be the Second Corinthians passage and the passage that, that Dick read in, in uh, Judges. But I want to lead into that. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the Christ, and, I, and I'm going to insert the, 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 the person for the pronoun so that it makes sense and is, is more clear here. Christ was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that was come into being. In Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. John came for a witness that John might bear witness of the light or Jesus, that he might believe through him, that, excuse me, that all might believe through Jesus. John was not the light but came that he might bear witness of the light, Jesus. Verse 9, there was the true light which came into the world. It enlightens every man. Christ was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Christ came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in Jesus' name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In this dark world, Christ is the light. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now this is this is the second book of 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote it directly on the heels of 1 Corinthians, probably within months. Paul was being accused of, of 
not being worthy to be an apostle. He was he was not sincere. He was he he describes his heart in the book of being uh, under affliction, anguish, beaten, beatings, conflict, danger, hunger, persecutions, punish, sorrow, suffering, tears, tumults, weak, weakness. Not all adjectives that we would like to use to describe ourselves every day because if we had to use those terms to describe our heart and condition, it would get kind of depressing after a while, quite honestly. But Paul wasn't in it, wasn't in it for himself. He was in it to glorify Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start reading um, chapter 4. Let me see. Um, Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Here's a fellow that's using all those adjectives to anguish the persecution that he's going through, the, the, the false accusations, and he says... Do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Not going to water it down. I know I've shared, and it's it's becoming more and more prevalent in supposed evangelical churches in in America. Yes, in America, where the pastor will get up and say, this is not the word of God. You can't believe all of it. It's not true. Some of it's good. I know there's a, there's a mega church in Nashville, Tennessee, where, where the pastor got up four or five months ago and said that. Paul says right here, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. But by the manifestation of truth, and that, if I look at John 1 again real quick, nope, I'm not seeing it there, sorry. Um, but that, that he is not, even, even in his persecution and his, his seemingly uh, low estate, uh, when everybody are questioning him, he says, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to stay true to the Word of God. I'm not going to mess with the message of the Word. We're going to preach the truth and set it forth as truth because it is truth. And even, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, small g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan obviously doesn't want the unsaved to see the light. From day one, he's been doing, when he tempted Christ, everything he was trying to do was to destroy God's testimony, to destroy God's kingdom, to destroy anything that God could set forth that would be truth. So he does his best to shield the unsaved from the truth. He blinds their eyes, their spiritual heart, keeps it suppressed. For we do, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 
Another verse that says it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It is all about him. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservant. For God said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Familiar tune there again. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Focus on verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We know that this body is just a shell that we currently reside in. It's temporary. It was meant to be temporary from the minute we were born even as our teeth were growing, our body is decaying as it, because of sin as it's heading towards death. It was designed that way. This is temporary. We're only here for a while. This is not our home. Heaven is our intended destination. If we know Jesus Christ, if we accept what He has done for us, we will live in heaven with Him for eternity. This earthen vessel is, is broken. Ron was sharing, they, they finally got the x-rays back, and Teresa does have, or Terry has, two broken ribs. The body breaks. We, we all know. I, is there anybody in here that doesn't know that? And, and the quick, as we get older, it hurts a little bit more and doesn't move quite as fast as it used to. Francine knows because right now she's having problems as she goes to stand up. She gets dizzy and falls. Blood pressure drops. The body is breaking down. And for most of us in here, not all of us, but for most of us in here, We've lived more days already than we're going to live in the future because we're closer to home. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is the treasure? Well, the best way to, to, to find and understand God's word is to look at the context. And all you got to do is even look back just one verse. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The treasure that we have in us is the light of the gospel, Jesus Christ. It is the light that we have to share with those around us. Now, here, here's the really cool connection, okay? If you turn to Judges with me. Remember, the treasure is the light and the earthen vessels. Judges chapter 7. Now, this was, Gideon 
was, was going to go up against the Midianites. And the, and the reason why, Gideon is one of the judges. There was no king in Israel at the time. But Gideon, the Lord told Gideon to go and tear down the altars to Baal. He did that. The Midianites didn't like it. His, his dad stood up for him in the public square, but the Midianites were going to come and do battle with him because Baal was one of their gods. And so Gideon's preparing for the battle, and he's got 32,000 men, and God says, that's too many. You're going to think that you did it. I want you to know that I am going to do it for you. Stay, stay in, in Judges there, but I want to read that verse from Deuteronomy that we, that we read so often when we were in Joshua. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Do not fear the Midianites, Gideon. I'm the one that's going to fight for you. 32,000 is too many. Send home all them that are shaking in their boots and they're afraid and willing to admit it. 22,000 men left and went home because they were afraid to go into battle. Left Gideon with 10,000. God says, Gideon, that's too many. It's got to be cool. It's only 10,000, God. Give, give, me some, give me something to fight with here. God says, I am going to fight for you. So they went down to the, the water and some kneeled and some lapped like a dog and got down to 300 men that he kept. 300 men? Really? To take on the whole Midianite army? Yeah. Because God was going to fight for him. And, and as Dick read, do, do you not love... We, and, and we read in, uh, again in Nehemiah, Proverbs 21.1, where it talks about that the, the king's heart is like a channel, and God directs it wherever he wills. Wherever he wants it to go, God is going to direct it. Now, if, if two fellows are sitting in the Midianite camp, they're sitting in their tent... And the one guy says, hey, he says, I had a dream. A loaf of bread came tumbling into the camp of Midian. It came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. Well, if I had a dream about a loaf of barley bread coming in and knocking my tent over, of course, I would think it's Gideon automatically, right? It's Gideon's fault that loaf of bread came in and knocked my tent over. God put that in their hearts. God gave that dream. And, and, and the, the fellow, the other, his friend, here's the dream. He says, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. You got that from a loaf of barley bread? God moves the heart where he wills. He channels it where he wants it to go. That's why we don't need to be afraid today, people. God is in control. The world wants to say they are and they've got it all. Don't worry about it. Because God's got it. And God knows. So we come down in in the verse uh, 16. We're in Judges chapter 7, verse 16. He divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put, get this, three things. Trumpets. And empty pitchers into the hands of all of them. And there were torches 
inside the pictures. Trumpets, empty pictures, and then they weren't empty because he put the torches inside them. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise, and behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, as do as I do. Now, those other 20, the, the first 22,000 that took off and went home, if they heard this story later, <laughs> we had good reason to be scared. All he gave you to fight with is a trumpet and a pitcher with a torch in it? The guy's nuts. Those 22,000 were happy they went home. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. They came at night. They just posted the watch. They blew their trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. Now why did they put the torch inside the pitcher? To cover up the light so the enemy wouldn't see him coming. So now, you take the pitcher and you smash it. Uh-oh, now the enemy can see the light. That pitcher, use our words from 2 Corinthians, that earthen vessel had to be smashed for the light to be seen. How cool is that? They held their torches in their left hands after they broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And when they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against the other, even throughout the whole army. God says, guys, I'm going to fight this battle for you. I've got it. Do what I tell you. Be obedient to my word. And I'll fight for you. Don't try to do it yourselves. Listen. And then Gideon had to convince him to do it too. Listen to what he tells us. If you read in Psalm 51... Okay, somebody took Psalms out of my Bible this morning. It's only the biggest book in the Bible, right? Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, 2. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God wants us to be broken. He wants our hearts to be broken. He wants us to be of a contrite heart. Because only when we are broken can his light shine forth. Those pictures in the hands of the, the, the Israelites in battle. 
concealed the light until that earthen vessel was broken. And then the light was allowed to shine. Between that and the, the trumpet, all that noise, the clatter, the light in the middle of the night, and the confusion caused by their trumpet. Maybe they were some really bad trumpet players, I don't know. But they sure caused confusion in the Midianite camp. I mean, how many soldiers had to take trumpet 101 before they went into battle? You know, I don't know. Maybe that was a regular class, but... The earthen vessel had to be broken before the treasure could be shown, could be seen. Who does God look for? Those that are humble and contrite of spirit. He wants our hearts to be broken to him. Then the treasure and the light can shine forth. It can be shown for the whole world to see. Matthew 5, I know we shared this at the the church picnic a couple weeks ago too. Just in case you haven't, the the ball hasn't slowed down enough for you, this this should bring it to a screeching halt, kind of like T-ball, so you ought to be able to whack it out of the park. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of, of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men put do men light a lamp and put it under a, a bushel basket or a peck measure, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They will see your good works and glorify your Father. Remember in Nehemiah 6, when the wall was done and the nations around lost their confidence because they acknowledged and understood that God was the one who had done the work in rebuilding the walls. Well, guess what? God gets the glory here again, as he should. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you are proud, if you are arrogant, if you are such that everything I am is because of me and how great I am, you will not be a broken vessel and the light will not be seen. God looks for the humble. He looks for the broken, the contrite. Because when we are broken, then the light can be shown to the world. The light, the the world can see the truth. They can see the light. They can see the unadulterated word in 2 Corinthians 4 that Paul was so faithful and true to. He says, I will only preach and teach the truth. I will not twist it to be politically correct. I will not twist it to tickle your ears or tell you a good story so that you'll enjoy what you're hearing. I'm going to preach the Word of God just as the Word of God is given. So, I challenge you that you would be a broken vessel. That the treasure that is within us, Jesus Christ, the light, we would not get in the way of that shining out to those around us, to family members, to neighbors, 
to people we work with, people we work for, students for teachers, patients for those that work in the medical field at the hospital, people we encounter every day. We need to constantly be broken so that Jesus Christ will shine and we'll get out of the way so that his light might reach the world. Probably that's the, the one verse I missed in my notes here is probably the one I'm looking for in my head right now. Nope, that's not it, sorry. But just that, just that the nations would know those around us might have an opportunity to see the light of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for men such as Paul, as Gideon, that would stand up and obey you. Even when it wasn't politically correct. Even when it was putting themselves out there to be a target of ridicule. and Thank you for their witness, Father. I pray that each one here this week would be a broken vessel, Father, so that your light might shine from them. That our hearts and our attitudes would be right, that we would have contrite hearts, Father, that we would seek for your forgiveness so that the fellowship between us can remain pure and true. Let your light so shine, Father, that you might receive the glory, that you might be able to accomplish your work in and through us. Father, I... There, there's so many in, in our congregation that, that need prayers for healing. And if I start, I'm going to forget somebody. So, Father, I just uh, just want to put, put names out there. Pray for Terry. Pray for Francine. I want to pray for, for Don Eggleston, for Myrna. Pray for Nan's mom, Nancy, that, that has some real medical issues right now, Father. And forgive me for those that I've forgotten, but we just pray, Father, that you would touch hearts, that you would touch lives. And that next week we would be closer to you than we are this week. Help us to live for you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll take